Hi, I'm Vishen Lakiani, founder of Mind Valley, the school for human transformation. You're listening to the Mind Valley podcast, where we'll be bringing you the greatest teachers and thought leaders on the planet to discuss the world's most powerful ideas in personal growth for mind, body, spirit, and work. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this Mind Valley podcast episode with Dr. Joe Dispenza. Gosh, Joe Dispenza has been popping up in my world multiple times over the last 18 months. I can't explain it, but multiple people are coming up to me and saying, have you heard of Dispenza? Have you read this book? Several people came up to me just last week at Mind Valley University, which was happening in Croatia, and they asked me, have you heard of Joe Dispenza? And I'm like, tell me more. I've been reading his books. And they said they're going for his seven-day seminar because of what they've been hearing about the miraculous healings that happened there. And so for those of you who may not have heard of Joe, he wrote a number of really incredible books. And his bio itself is amazing. I'm going to come to that in a moment. But his books are books such as Evolve Your Brain, Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself. You are the placebo. That's the one I'm reading right now. And Becoming Supernatural, his sport book. But what's truly unique about Joe, and I'm going to ask him to share his story in a moment, is that he is literally teaching people how to bend reality. And at his events, miraculous healings take place. Now, a lot of this I'm hearing from people who have attended the events. And we're talking about Joe using his knowledge to help people heal themselves of illnesses, chronic conditions, even terminal illnesses, so that they can enjoy a more fulfilled and happy life. His workshops are happening around the world, and he has partnered with other scientists to perform extensive research on the effects of meditation, including epigenetic testing, brain mapping, EEGs, individual energy field testing, with even ideas such as GDV or gas discharge visualization. Now, what's unique about Joe is this scientific approach to energy work, and he's beginning to show dramatic results, a lot of which is covered in his book. And this is the book I want to recommend, Becoming Supernatural. So in this topic, I asked Joe to share with us some of his advice, his discoveries, and his advice to you on how we can start tapping into the power of our minds to heal. Now we know our minds heal. You guys have all heard of the placebo effect. Those of you who have read my book are familiar with the J.B. Mosley studies. You know that the mind doesn't just heal simple illnesses. It can heal illnesses such as knee arthritis, which once were believed to require surgery. But how do we activate this? And speaking of knees, I have a special agenda for this podcast. You see, I used to teach energy healing. I can help influence healing in others. I can heal minor ailments in myself. But every now and then, I get an injury or an illness which frustrates me and I am unable to heal it. And I want to understand how to heal my knee. Because if you've been listening to me for the past couple of months, you know that I injured my knee 10 months ago and it's preventing me from taking part in Spartan race or running or jumping or doing things which I regularly like to do. And so this is going to be a topic which I'm going to bring up to Joe because I bet 90% of you listening have a condition right now that even if you have studied meditation and energy healing, and even if you believe in the placebo effect, you are stuck with healing that. So let's see if Joe's advice as applied to my knee might be relevant for you as well. So now, without further ado, let's bring on this remarkable man, Dr. Joe Dispenza. i 
Christian Lakiani, and this is the Mind Valley Podcast. Joe, how are you today? Excellent. I'm so happy to be with you. So, Joe, I want to ask you, how did you get started in this field? Because you've developed a remarkable reputation at what you do, but we'd love to know your backstory. Sure. I think for some of us to wake up, we need a wake-up call. And in 1986, I got run over by a truck in a triathlon and broke several vertebrae in my spine. I had bone fragments on my spinal cord. I had the neural arch of the eighth thoracic vertebrae broken like a pretzel. So there was cord impingement. And the typical protocol for this, the prognosis, you know, and the treatment has to do with putting in these rods in your spine called Harrington rods. And so I got four opinions from four of the leading surgeons in Southern California, and they all said, Harrington rod surgery will never walk again. And, you know, I think if I was attending a patient, I would have made the recommendation for the surgery, but this was me. So I had to stop and really decide if I wanted to live with the possibility of constant pain in my spine, immobility, and even the idea of being on medications constantly. So in 1986, not a lot of people told the doctors no, but this was my body and I just couldn't rush quickly. So I decided against the surgery and I thought, well, God, I'm not going anywhere or doing anything. There's an intelligence within us that's giving us life, that's keeping the heart beating, digesting our food, you know, organizing trillions of functions every second in every cell of our body. And since I have a little time, maybe I should make contact with it, give it a plan, give it a design, give it a template. And then when I'm clear on, and it's exactly what I want, then I'll surrender it to this mind because certainly I can't do the healing, but it could do the healing for me. So first six weeks, I mean, it sounded great. First six weeks was hell because I couldn't get my mind to do what I wanted it to do. In fact, I'd start off, you know, in my meditation. And next thing you know, I'd be thinking about living in a wheelchair or should I sell my home and my practice? And I kept going to what I didn't want to have happen instead of what I did want to have happen. And I think crisis, we tend to prepare for the worst. So it was a dark night of the soul for me. But after six and a half weeks, something clicked and all of a sudden it got easier. And I started noticing significant changes in my body and in motor function. And I got really passionate after that. And in 10 and a half weeks, I was back on my feet. I was back in my life at 12 weeks and back to normal in a sense, and pretty much haven't had pain in my spine since. But I just made a deal with myself that if I was ever able to walk again, I'd spend the rest of my life studying the mind-body connection and mind over matter. So from there, I started interviewing people that had spontaneous remissions from disease. I wanted to know what the cause was that was producing the effect. Was it diet? Was it this? Was it What were the different things? And when I got right down to it, because hundreds of people had stories, one of the most important components had to do with the mind. So that caused me to come up with an understanding of what the commonalities were. And then after I wrote my first book, I thought, hell, it works on sick people. Could it work on well people? And if people that were in some way compromised from anything from cancer to thyroid conditions to rare genetic disorders, is it possible then to replicate the process and demystify the process? So my interest became in the application, not just the understanding of the knowledge. I think this is a time in history where it's not enough to know. This is a time in history to know how. So when you give people the sound information, the scientific information, and science 
is the contemporary language of mysticism. It's science that demystifies the mystical. So if you're talking about something as simple as healing a cut, it's not a mechanistic phenomenon. You have to bring in a quantum model of reality. You got to talk about neuroplasticity, epigenetics, psychoneuroimmunology. You got to talk about electromagnetism. These are all individual components that build a new model of understanding. And so my interest was to create a formula that people could apply. And once they understand the formula, once they understand what they're doing and why, then the how gets easier. So I wanted to give people numerous opportunities to practice, numerous opportunities to get better at it. So what happened, which was kind of surprising, after about a year, we started seeing people with MS stepping out of wheelchairs that were in wheelchairs for 10 years or someone with rheumatoid arthritis or some type of brain tumor all of a sudden have a huge change in their health. And that was the moment I said, wow, it's happening in real time. Joe, hang on. That's really remarkable. People with MS stepping out of their wheelchair. Now, this was after how many days or hours or weeks or months of work? Oh, this was in a weekend workshop. I think I was more surprised than anybody when I saw this. I mean, but my scientific mind said, well, if there's some type of change going on here, something must be happening inside of these people. So then we gathered those team of researchers and scientists, and we started doing thousands and thousands of brain scans. I wanted to do pre and post measurements to note that the changes weren't just in their mind, they were in their brain. We measured heart rate variability. We measured, as you said, epigenetic changes. In other words, if the symptoms of MS change that dramatically, in some way, there's an internal process where the person's downregulating the gene for MS and upregulating the gene for health. And are there really gene changes? Are genetic changes? Are there changes in genetic expression? So we measured that. And we see people with chronic pain and immune-mediated conditions, everything from food allergies to cancers going into remission. So there must be some type of boost in the immune system. So we measured immune regulation. Can meditation lengthen your life? We've measured telomeres. And all of these things show that without a doubt, we are way more powerful than what we are. So I have evidence now in our scientific measurements and I have evidence and testimony with people doing the work. And I think evidence is the loudest voice. So, And so I just want to emphasize for the listener, you studied biochemistry at Rutgers University and you hold a Bachelor of Science degree with an emphasis in neuroscience, correct? That's correct, yes. I see. So I just wanted to state that so that the audience who's listening know that you are looking at this from a hardcore science perspective. But the Mind Valley audience that's listening, they believe in mind-body healing. I mean, today, anyone who looks at the evidence will believe in mind-body healing. Everyone has experienced it to some degree. But rather than talk about the science, because I know science can't fully explain how it works, but science can show that it does work through multiple studies, I'd love to understand something that you said earlier. You said you are developing an equation for it. That is what I'd love for you to share with us. What does that equation look like? What is that equation that caused that lady with MS to step out from her wheelchair? What is that equation that caused so many people to experience these spontaneous remissions of their tumors or their cancers during your events? Sure. And like anything else, Vishen, it's a process like learning how to hit a golf ball. It's a process like learning how to dance the salsa or, or to knit or whatever it is that we care to do. But we have an understanding that when most people live their life and they're reacting to different circumstances and conditions in their life, their reaction typically begins to elicit 
a hormonal response that's derived from stress chemicals. And living in stress is living in survival. And when we live in that state, 70% of the time for most people, we're mobilizing all the body's resources for some threat, real or imagined, in the outer world. Emotions of fear, aggression, pain, guilt, shame, anxiety, frustration, resentment, impatience. Those are all derived from the hormones of stress. And Stress is when your brain and body are knocked out of balance. So when the arousal happens from those chemicals, we tend to try to control and protect everything in our life. We shift our attention from one person to another thing, to another meeting, to another place, to another person, to another circumstance. And every one of those things, one of those elements has a neurological network in our brain. Now, if you were to measure the brain when it does that, the brain is firing very incoherently, like a lightning storm in the clouds. Those individual networks begin to compartmentalize and the brain starts firing out of order. And when the brain is incoherent, we're incoherent. When the brain isn't working right, we're not working right. At the same time, when you're sitting in a staff meeting and you can't throttle the person sitting across the table from you, you can't run, you can't fight, you can't hide. And so the person's releasing the same amount of stress hormones and the heart starts to race. Now, when the heart starts to race and you're sitting still, it's like stepping on the gas and the brake at the same time. And there's a diminishing of energy in the heart. In fact, there's constriction of blood flow to the heart and the brain during the stress response. So now the person has an incoherent heart and an incoherent brain. And in a sense, a person's way out of balance. And some people habituate into the state. Now, in stress, you narrow your focus on the outer world, on the cause, and the stronger the emotion you feel, the more you pay attention to what's causing it in your outer environment. The brain tends to drive all of its attention in that direction. Now, where you place your attention is where you place your energy. So in a sense, we're giving our power away to the problems and circumstances in our life. Now, what happens, we found in the formula, is if you teach people how to go from a narrow focus on matter, on the material world, because stress heightens the senses, and begin to open their focus and broaden their focus and put their attention on nothing but space. The act of going from a convergent focus to a divergent focus causes you to stop analyzing and thinking. Now, the whole purpose of meditation is to get beyond your analytical mind. And what separates your conscious mind from your subconscious mind is the analytical mind. So then as people begin to sense space, and they're not thinking, they're no longer activating those associated neurological networks, and their brain waves begin to change very, very nicely from what's called high beta to mid-range beta to low-level beta, and they begin to slip into alpha. Now, in alpha, our inner world tends to be more real than our outer world, but we're not just looking for any type of alpha. All of a sudden, the brain begins to synchronize. Those different compartments of the brain that were once subdivided, different communities begin to unify. And what sinks in the brain links in the brain. And all of a sudden, you can see this kind of coherence taking place in the brain, and the person starts feeling more whole. Now, we teach people then to elevate their emotional states. That is to become heart-centered. And we just don't ask them to do that. We measure to make sure that they're doing it. We can say to them, you're doing it or you're not doing it. Joe, wait, just want to step back for a moment and understand the first part of what you said, right? Because this is so fascinating. So the first thing you're doing is you're helping people get into a relaxed alpha state with left-right brain coherence, correct? Exactly. Okay, so for the person who's listening, because the Mind Valley audience is fairly sophisticated, you guys understand brain waves, beta, waking state, alpha, seven to 14 cycles per second, light meditation, theta, sort of deeper meditation, four to seven cycles per second. So you're finding, Joe, that the magic point is alpha, 
No, I would say that the introduction into alpha is a good place to start. But if we were going to talk about what's happening presently, our students can sustain a very coherent theta brainwave pattern. Now in theta, the door between the conscious mind and the subconscious mind is wide open. A person is highly suggestible to information. And suggestibility is your ability to accept, believe, and surrender to information without analyzing it. Now you're in the operating system, Vision, where you can begin to change those unwanted habits and programs. So, Wait, just to go back to the alpha thing again, right? So you mentioned that you want to get to a state of alpha. You want to make sure that you're creating left-right brain coherence. And are you also looking at things like alpha amplitude, the amplitude of the alpha wave? Have you found that that matters? Oh, yes, yes. So imagine, so what happens in the brain is that when you start developing coherence, when you start seeing synchronization, there's more neurons beginning to fire or dance to the same rhythm. They start to be entrained to a symphony, an orderliness. That kind of orderliness begins to cause the waves to begin to interfere with each other. And when coherent waves interfere with each other, they create bigger waves. <laughs> so the higher the wave, the higher the amplitude, the higher the energy in the brain. So we're seeing significant changes of energy in the brain, not just a little bit of change, like dramatic changes in energy. So now you got a hundred billion neurons all of a sudden start firing in cadence. And now there's a very, very orderly signal going on in the central nervous system. Now, the immune system, the cardiovascular system, the musculoskeletal system, the reproductive system, the digestive system is all getting a very, very coherent, clear message. And it's that autonomic nervous system. We see that the autonomic nervous system begins to become highly activated. Now, the autonomic nervous system is getting information, it's processing frequency, and it's sending very orderly information to the rest of the body. So we gotta get beyond our analytical mind and move into levels of alpha and theta. So I've looked at the research from, for example, Dr. Jim Hart, who ran the BioCybernaut Institute, right? The institute that inspired Dave Asprey's 40 years of Zen. I trained there and what they found is that the way to get high alpha amplitude and left-right brain alpha resonance, the best way, in addition to meditating, was to practice forgiveness. They found that by practicing forgiveness out of every exercise out there over a 10-year study, that would be the one that would lead to the best results in terms of increasing alpha amplitude and left-right brain coherence. I'm curious, did you find something similar? How are you teaching your people to get to that particular level of alpha? Okay, think about it. 70% of the time, people are living in fear, anxiety, frustration, impatience, judgment, unworthiness, pain, suffering, guilt, shame. That's the common emotions people are living by. Now, emotions are a record of the past. We can remember experiences better because we can remember how they feel. So if people are living by the same emotions every single day, and those emotions are driving their thoughts, and they can't think greater than how they feel, then they're thinking in the past. So if they believe that thoughts have anything to do with their destiny, well, their past is going to be create the same future. So then they can think positively all they want. They can say, I'm healthy, I'm healthy, I'm wealthy, I'm wealthy, I've got a new job, whatever it is. But if the body is feeling unworthiness or frustration, that thought never makes it to the brainstem. So then teaching people how to trade those limited survival stress emotions for elevated heart center emotions is beginning to activate a whole different system. So we teach people how to develop this type of heart coherence and the emotions of gratitude, appreciation, thankfulness, forgiveness, love, joy for existence, inspiration begins to cause the heart to begin to function 
very orderly and coherently. Now, when a person does this right and the heart moves into coherence, the very first thing that happens is the heart begins to deliver energy to the brain. It acts as an amplifier. So now, once the heart is opened, there's energy going to the brain and you will see higher levels of alpha coherence with higher amplitudes because it's driving more energy to the brain. At the same time that the heart begins to become coherent, it begins to produce a measurable magnetic field up to three meters wide. Now, energy is a frequency and all frequency carries information. Now the person is in this heart can lay the thought, the intent on that energy of their health and their wealth. Now, they're broadcasting a whole new electromagnetic signature into the field. So then now they're feeling less lack, less separation, less pain. They're feeling like their future is already happening or happening to them. So we've been hypnotized and conditioned into believing we need a reason for joy, a reason for gratitude, a reason to forgive. But that's the old model of reality of cause and effect, waiting for something outside of us to take away our pain or emptiness inside of us. That's Newtonian physics. The quantum model of reality is about causing an effect. So then people begin to understand that when they move into an elevated emotional state, not only are they beginning to release 1,300 different chemicals that begin to restore and repair the body, but their energy is beginning to change. Now, we've measured that. So then when you're living by stress hormones, you're drawing from that invisible field of energy, that vital life force, the resource of energy, and we're turning it into chemistry, and the field around our body shrinks. And we feel more like matter, less like energy, more like particle, less like wave, and we feel separate from our dreams and our hopes. So now, it requires, to answer your question, to truly create a new reality, begin to change the body. You're going to need a clear intention that is a vision of the future. And when you combine that clear intention with a coherent brain, with an elevated emotion, a coherent heart, now you just moved your brain and body from living in the past present reality to living in a future present reality. And the stronger the forgiveness or the love or the gratitude that you feel, the more you will pay attention to the picture in your mind. And we could say then, you're beginning to remember your future. Now, what's the significance of healing? Well, the epigenetic model says it's the environment that signals the gene. That's exactly the truth. But the end product of an experience in your environment is an emotion. So then can you signal the gene ahead of the environment with an elevated emotion? And we've shown that you don't need to wait for the doctor to tell you you're better. You can begin to create the emotion so that your body as the unconscious mind that doesn't know the difference between the experience in your life that creates the emotion and the emotion that you're fabricating by thought alone, the body's believing it's living in that future reality in the present moment, and you're knocking on the genetic door. And genes make proteins, and proteins are responsible for the structure and function of your body, and the expression of proteins is the expression of life. So the person begins to downregulate the gene for disease and upregulate the gene for health. And now they begin to change moment by moment, become somebody else. Wow. Okay. So there were four things in that equation that you put together, right? I just want to break it down so I can understand it better. The first thing you said is clear intention, clear intention. So let's use me as a case study. Okay. Me as an example. So I have this knee injury. The doctors don't know what it is. I've gone to surgery. It doesn't help, but I can't run or jump without my knee giving me a lot of pain the next day. And I don't want to take it easy because I want to be able to run 
a Spartan race. Now, is running the Spartan race an example of a clear intention, or am I missing something there? Well, that is part of the clear intention. You have to have a construction of what it means completely, not only to just run the Spartan race, but to live your life pain-free without any knee pain, to be able to do the things that you want to do, to understand that it can heal, to get very clear on whatever that vision is. And the more clear you are on that vision, the more refined the vision, the more you have a direction. Now, the elevated emotion then is what drives you into that future. So we see like so many musculoskeletal conditions being some of the first conditions that change in the body because the contraction of tissue from injury, the inflammation, is because the body doesn't have enough energy to heal. So think about the emotion of gratitude. Gratitude, when you're receiving something that's favorable, you just receive something that's favorable, something is happening to you or something just happened to you, you say thank you, you feel gratitude. So then the emotional signature of gratitude means it's already happened. So then when you begin to teach the person how to sustain and self-regulate, not just for five minutes, a sense of gratitude or forgiveness or compassion or whatever the emotion, but to sustain that state. Now when the person is sustaining that state, now the body's believing it's already healed. So then you begin to diminish the amount of inflammation and inflammation is the cause of pain. And all of a sudden, the autonomic nervous system that already knows how to heal all kinds of health conditions steps in and says, well, he's out of the way. Let me do the healing for him. Okay, so let's go back to that. So clear intention and elevated emotion are two of the four. And you say we are bringing those two together. Now, I'm guessing we're doing this while we are in meditation or accessing alpha? Yes, alpha or theta, yes. So what does that look like? So let's just look at the first two. So clear intention, I have this vision of what I want to be able to do with my knee. I have this vision of how my knee feels. And then I'm also bringing in gratitude as an elevated emotion. What's going on there? Am I being grateful for my legs? Am I being grateful for my wonderful children? Am I being grateful for business success? What am I being grateful for? Is it anything or is it specific to my legs? Well, we know that when people start this process, they associate gratitude with their puppy or their dog or their kids or their success as a way to start the chemistry. But that's not where we want to end because that's associating gratitude with some past event. What we want to do is we want to take them past that point so their heart begins to truly open. We want them to get better at that. So they want to feel the emotion ahead of the actual experience of how they would feel if their knee would heal. So that takes a little practice because that's breaking a belief, breaking a conditioned response that, why would I feel grateful if it hasn't happened yet? But if you understand that you can teach your body emotionally what that future will feel like ahead of the actual experience, now you're conditioning your body into the future instead of the past. Now, let me explain this. People have traumatic events, a betrayal, a shock, a trauma. Every time they think about that experience, they're producing the same chemistry in their brain and body as if it's happened. So they're remembering the event 50 to 100 times a day. Their body's believing they're in that experience. And conditioning only requires an image and a feeling or an emotion. So people start to condition their body into the past. So then let's say it was a strong betrayal. Well, in order for you to begin to knock on the genetic door, you're going to have to create an emotion of your future that's greater than the betrayal of the past. And so as you begin to shave down the emotions that are associated with your past, and you begin to elevate your emotional state, 
It makes sense then over time when you trade the feelings of betrayal and frustration and hurt and pain for elevated emotions, when you do this properly. Now, when you start to feel the emotions of your future and you begin to pay attention to that intention, you are literally remembering your future. Now, thoughts are the vocabulary of the brain. Feelings are the vocabulary of your body. And how you think and how you feel creates your state of being. So the person has the experience of betrayal in the past. The stronger the emotion they feel, the more they pay attention to the person or the cause. The brain takes a snapshot, and that's called a long-term memory. So now the person thinks neurologically within those circuits, and they feel chemically within those emotions, their entire state of beings in the past. So then the moment they get a firm intention, a clear intention, and they begin to combine it with an elevated emotion, literally they are moving their brain and body out of the past present reality into a future present reality. And the more you do it on a daily basis, the more you begin to see biological changes and the better at it. Now, those were the first two components of the equation. There was a third and a fourth. What was the third component? Well, we talked about brain coherence and heart coherence, but let me say it another way. And this is a better way for me to say it. What we noticed, in all the studies of so the 8,500 different brains that we've studied, and we're still doing extensive measurements, that a person, in order for them to heal their body, <laughs> they have to get beyond their body. In order for them to change some aspect of their life, they have to get beyond the memory of their life. In order for them to change some aspect of their personality, they have to get beyond their identity or personality. So what we discovered is there's this elegant moment, and it's a very specific moment. And that moment is when the person goes from a somebody putting their attention on their body to a nobody, to taking their attention off all the people in their life and going from someone to no one, taking their attention off all the things they've owned, their cell phone, their car, their house, whatever, and go from something to nothing, to take their attention off where they work, where they sleep, where they live, where they're sitting, and go from somewhere to nowhere, and stop thinking about the predictable future or the familiar past and fall into the sweet spot of the generous present moment and go from some time to no time. That is the moment, the elegant moment in which they get beyond the memory of the known self, the identity. At the exact same time, we see a suppression in brain activity in the neocortex, the seat of the identity, the seat of the personality, the memory bank of the known self. And as they suppress their neocortex, consciousness, their awareness literally falls into that limbic brain, the autonomic nervous system. Now they're conscious in their subconscious mind. And we call that getting beyond the self. Now, if you don't have a body or you're not associating with your body, you're not associating with the things or the people or the places or even the past or future that you identify with, then the only thing that's left is that your pure consciousness. Now, at this moment, it means that in order for you to heal your body, you're no longer identifying with your body. Now you can. In other words, to heal your body, you got to get beyond it. That's the moment you can begin to produce measurable effects. So we call that getting beyond the self, and we teach people how to do that. Now, Bond University just did an extensive study on our brain scans the first six years or seven years or so, and they said, my goodness, we've never seen a community of people be able to do that in four seconds, five seconds, nine seconds, 12 seconds. Like, what's a skill? Once you know how to do that, the side effect of you getting beyond you is enormous amounts of brain and heart coherence. Now, 
think about this. If the brain is coherent and the heart is coherent, wow, you got a pretty strong internet signal. You got a pretty strong signal around your body radiating different field, and that field is emitting information. Now, the idea is not to just do it in your meditation and get up and get frustrated in traffic or judge your coworker. Your job is to get your brain and body right and then make it so familiar. The word meditation means to become familiar with. Make it so familiar that no person, no thing, no experience in your outer environment is going to steal your joy is gonna steal your love for life and maintain that modified state of mind and body your entire day. And if you can, get ready because weird and crazy and synchronistic things are gonna to begin to happen in your life. So you're not just talking about healing then, you're talking about being in a state where you're almost in flow, where you see the synchronicities, you see the magic of life by being in this state. And healing is just another beautiful side effect. Exactly, that is exactly the recourse, the side effect of that change is healing. So I want to try to recap what you've said so far, okay? So you talked about brain coherence, and you explained it scientifically. It's high alpha amplitude. It's left-right brain coherence. And this, you said, happens when one moves into states of meditation. Then you spoke about heart coherence. And I'm just trying to understand this, okay? So brain coherence, I get that it's meditation, but is there any specific type of meditation? Is it forgiveness? Is it gratitude? Is it breath work? What do you get your students to do? Or what have you found creates the optimal brain coherence? Well, the optimal brain coherence is created from going from a narrow focus to a broad focus. So taking your attention off the material world on matter and beginning to broaden or open your focus and put your attention on energy, on the field. Now, the unified field is an invisible field of energy and information that connects everything material. So how much of people's waking day do they put their attention on matter and how much of their waking day do they put their attention on the field? So it begins to open their awareness on the field and its signature is oneness, wholeness, orderliness, then the brain is going to begin to become entrained to that frequency. So I get that idea in theory, but if I were to explain this to someone, what am I telling them to think about? Am I telling them to think of oneness? Am I telling them to send love to the world? Am I telling them to look at gratitude or forgiveness? What is that? No, this is not anything to do with an emotional state. Thoughts are the language of the brain. So when we begin to go from a narrow focus to a broad focus, and the training is to close your eyes and become aware of the space on both sides of you. How far can your awareness go into that space? Now, Buddhists have been doing this for thousands of years. And of course, by doing this, broadening your focus, you're not thinking, you're not analyzing, you're sensing. And if you're not analyzing or thinking, you're no longer activating those associated circuits in the neocortex and you're suppressing brain activity. Is this similar to mindfulness meditation then? It's called broad focus, open focus, yeah. Broad focus. Okay, great. And so for people who are curious and learning more, in which of your books do you talk about brain coherence? Breaking the Habits, Placebo, and Becoming Supernatural. Those three, there's a lot of information. So I'm going to recommend, I don't want to confuse people, there are so many great books by you. Like I said, I'm currently reading You Are the Placebo. I'm going to get to Becoming Supernatural. I'm hearing great things about Becoming Supernatural. If people had to start with one. I'd say Breaking the Habit. Oh, Breaking the Habit. Okay. All right. Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself. Great. Fundamentally, it's the easiest to understand. And then like becoming supernatural, you can take a bite of that if you're ready for it. Well, the Mind Valley audience, they don't want basic personal growth. I mean, these are people who are deep into this field. So I'm guessing they'd want to get straight to your most advanced work. Okay. So that was a beautiful way of describing brain coherence. I love the way you explained it. Now, heart coherence, 
Are we talking about heart coherence in the same way HeartMed Institute speaks about it? And are we talking about the same exercises that the HeartMed Institute prescribes? Yes, we partner with the HeartMath Institute. They're part of our research team. We have taken the techniques in a different direction because we've measured what works as well, because there's something that's been happening now that is really quite supernatural. And that is when a person really goes into those states of theta where they can sustain coherent theta states, not just normal theta, like 10 standard deviations outside of normal. The person is pretty much as body's asleep and their mind is awake. Something amazing happens. There is an arousal that takes place in the central nervous system when the person is completely hooked up to that field. Now, the arousal isn't from the outer environment that, you know, like a predator that creates fear or aggression or pain. That's how arousal typically happens by the hormones of stress. There's an arousal that takes place when a person is sustaining the state and they go into extremely high patterns of gamma brainwave patterns. Now, I'm not talking about a little gamma. I'm not talking about a lot of gamma. I'm talking about a supernatural amount of gamma. Now, the arousal that the person is experiencing is creating the emotions of ecstasy and bliss. They're having an inner event. It's a transcendental moment where their senses are so heightened, they're having a full-on sensory experience without their senses. In other words, they're sitting there, and now their inner world is way more real than the betrayal from the past, the shock or trauma from the past. And since experience enriches the brain and since experience creates emotions, in an instant, we're seeing a person's biology change. And the side effect of that is like eczema, Parkinson's disease, rare, crazy genetic disorders, deafness and blindness. Literally in a second, the person has biological upgrade. Now, we use the heart as a starting point because once energy makes it to the heart, it's going to go to the brain. So we use certain techniques to teach people how to not only just create a little bit of heart coherence, but to be able to practice it so that it becomes a skill so that they can sustain that level of coherence in their waking day, not just for 10 minutes, but to sustain it for an hour. Like it's a skill, you know, when you're there and you know when you're not. So what's the relevance of that? You can self-correct in your day. Like when you move off balance and you react, it's not a problem that you react. The problem is how long you're going to react. So then as people be able to self-regulate and change the emotional state, see what most people don't know is they think they have to be a yogi or they have to have thousands of hours of meditation to be able to change their autonomic nervous system or at least the way their heart functions. Well, that's not the case. We see that people, once they learn how to do it, they can get into that autonomic nervous system and begin to regulate. So we want them to trade those self-limiting emotions for elevated emotions and it's a process, it's a skill. Now, when it really switches on and there's high amounts of oxytocin and we've measured students with elevated oxytocin levels, oxytocin signals nitric oxide. Nitric oxide signals another chemical called endothelial derived relaxing factor and that causes the arteries in your heart to literally swell. Now, this is no longer trying to do it. Now there's energy in your heart. And just like when your sexual organs are aroused with blood, imagine the same intensity in your heart. Now the person is having a very profound moment. And that is the moment where you start seeing significant changes in energy in the brain. They go right into gamma. But the heart has been the facilitator, the, the jump starter for them to get there. I see. I see. Now I remember in the introduction I had to the Hartman Institute, they said that you can stop elevating heart resonance by simply thinking about the face of someone you truly love. I use my daughter, Eve. Would this be a good way for people to 
play with that? Yes. Now, again, you know, in our week-long events, we use that association to get the chemicals going. But what we want to do, like love and these elevated emotions create bonding. So you bond to people in your life with oxytocin. Oxytocin creates monogamy. Oxytocin creates love. It creates connection between parents and children or any mammals for that matter with their offspring. So then why not fall in love with your future just like you fall in love with something material? Now, if you can bond with your future emotionally, that means then if you're feeling like your future has already happened, you won't be looking for it. You're only looking for it when you're separate from it, when you're back to your old self, separate from the emotions. So then you say, hey, if you're in your heart and you feel like your future's already happened, you're not going to be looking or analyzing anything. And now when there's a synchronization between your energy and some potential in the electromagnetic field and the quantum, you don't go anywhere to get it. Now you are creating from source. Now you are drawing experiences to you and they're called synchronicities because there's a coherent synchronization between your energy and some potential. And if you tell me, well, I lost the feeling of my future because of that person or that circumstance, I would say, well, now we're back to the unconscious program of being a victim, believing that someone or something is literally controlling how we feel and how we think. So then when you're connected to the energy of your future, now you're going to see those wonderful things happening. When you disconnect from the energy of your future and you're back to frustration or impatience, you're back to the energy of your past and the door closes and don't expect anything to change in your life. Joe, so this is what's tripping me up. You speak about the energy of the future. But if you look at so many spiritual teachings, okay, I'll pick Paulo Coelho, for example. In The Alchemist, Coelho says, I'm interested only in the present. If you can concentrate always on the present, you'll be a happy man. So, so many spiritual teachers speak about our focus being on the present. You're talking about the future. That's what's tripping me up. Could you help me understand? Yeah, yeah. I think it's just a little bit novel. But really, the first step to creation is the present moment. Now, most people wake up in the morning and they think about their problems. Their problems are memories that are etched in their brain from past experiences of certain people and things at certain times and places. Every single one of those memories has an emotion associated with them. So that when they start to feel unhappy, when they remember their problems, now their brain and body are in the familiar past. Then they wake up and they go through a series of routine behaviors that they do every single day. And now their body's on autopilot and it's dragging them into a predictable future based on what they did in the past. That's the known, the familiar past and the predictable future. And literally they lost their free will to a program. The only place where the unknown exists is the present moment. And the moment the person becomes nobody, no one, no thing, nowhere, and no time, now they're in the sweet spot of the generous present moment. Now, when you combine a clear intention with an elevated emotion, now you are living in that future reality in the present moment. And now your brain and body do not know the difference. And that's when you- Right. It's nuanced, right? It's nuanced, right? So you're fully immersed in the present, but you have an intention for the future. That's what you're saying. Yeah. In the present moment. Amazing. Amazing. So Joe, we're running out of time right now. And that was so, so, so intriguing. I'm so fascinated by the work you do. And I can't wait to get to your next book. I'm also going to pick up Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself. You know, 
I want to ask you about your website because I really like to add value to the people we bring on. So your website, and for those of you who are interested in learning more about Joe, is drjoedispenza.com. That's Dr. D-R-Joe, Dispenza, D-I-S-P-E-N-Z-A.com. Now, Joe, when I go to your website and I click on events, I hear amazing things about your events. But for the people who are listening and for myself, because I want to attend one of your events, but honestly, on the website, there are so many different options. I see like 20 different types of events happening all around the world. What would you recommend for those of us who want to go into what you just spoke about, namely mind-body healing and getting into these elevated states on a consistent basis? Sure. Well, the best thing to do is to start off, if you're reading the books, that's a good start. But you know, my interest, my passion is not keynote lectures or conferences any longer. I'm a doer. I'm a pragmatist. So if you start with the progressive workshop, the online progressive, it's a study course at home. You can do it in nine weeks. You can do it in a weekend if you want. There's an intensive course that we give as a gift that goes along with it. You understand the language. You understand the science. You understand everything that we've talked about in a more elaborate fashion. Those two courses are now prerequisites for a week-long event. And then when you come to a week-long event, it's seven days, and you'll be with a community of 1,000 or 1,500 or 1,600 people. Wow. 1,000 people, seven days. When is the next week-long event? <laughs> the next week-long event is in Niagara Falls, and that will be 1,600 people. That's September, but it's been sold out for months now. Yeah, that's something I heard. I heard that your events are thousands of people and they sell out months in advance. That's truly remarkable. They sell out in 27 minutes. Wow. And this is because of the remarkable healings that happen at these events? There's something that happens, Vision, that right around the third day when people break through and you start witnessing incredible transformations and miracles and mystical experiences. You know, people stand on the stage and you watch this and they're not a movie star and it's not a, they don't look like a vegetarian. They just look like a normal person, you know, and they just healed from Parkinson's disease or anaphylaxis or just eczema, you know, that they had their whole life and they're standing up there and they're talking and they couldn't swallow, couldn't blow their nose, couldn't talk, couldn't stand up with their Parkinson's. You know, you see that uh, you can't be the same person. So I think when people want to be part of something, this community, I think many people come for all different kinds of reasons, to get wealthy, to get healthy, to get a new job, to get a new relationship. But really, at the end of the event, we realize we're just coming for wholeness. We just want to be more whole. Right, right. And what are people doing? Like, is it eight hours a day? Is this like a Tony Robbins thing, 12-hour days? Like, give us an idea so we can decide if this is something we want to check out. Yeah, we're doers. We start at six in the morning. We finish at six or seven in the evening. We're doing walking meditations. We're doing standing and walking meditations. We're doing seated meditations. We teach people how to create movies of their future. We teach them how to sustain trance. We teach them how to heal one another. We teach them how to create reality. We teach them how to connect to the field, to create from the field instead of from matter. I mean, it's a fun, busy week. Yeah. Insane. And it's 1,600 people at the same time. Anyway, I'm so excited about this. I know some friends going. And uh, for those of you who are listening and you want to check it out, I've just heard amazing things about this. And, you know, the numbers speak for themselves. That many people. And I like this line on your website. A waitlist is full. That's pretty impressive, Joe. Congratulations on the remarkable job that you've done. Thank you. It's such an honor to contribute. So thank you, Joe, for joining us. And for those of you who want to learn more about Dr. Joe Dispenza's incredible work, definitely Google him on Amazon. You'll find his author page and all his books. Check out drjoedispenza.com. And there you can read about his many appearances all across the world. He is traveling like crazy. Joe, I'm in Amsterdam right now, and I see you're going to be here in just a few weeks. I'm excited that you have so many different ways one can learn from you. And I'm 
truly excited by the remarkable work that you're doing. Thank you for being you and for bringing this gift to the world. Uh, thank you. And thank you for all the great work you do also. And for those of you listening, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the Mind Valley Podcast. I'm Vishen Lakiani, and this is the Mind Valley Podcast.